want to start out with a, uh, a YouTube video that maybe you have seen. It's from Penn Gillette of Penn and Teller, the uh, uh, comedy magician, whatever they are. And uh, he is an ardent atheist. In fact, there's just all sorts of uh, ungodly and uh, uh, quite offensive and blasphemous uh, uh, videos that he has there uh, destroying the Bible, destroying uh, these kind of things, uh, God's truth. But uh, this uh, is a particular interesting uh, video because of, well, you'll, you'll see what he says. So, uh, and it's relevant to what we're studying. So let's take a look at this. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I've been home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we... Uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the or the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and... Uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. He was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick. You know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm I'm sane, I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever... And you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because, 
it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like your show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave you that book. That's all I wanted to say. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Is that interesting? There's a lot. I mean, we, we could teach, and maybe we'll do this uh, next time. We could teach a whole lesson just, you know, going through that and, and dissecting that and looking at that. In fact, that thing's gone viral, and, and, and he, he, I saw a follow, he had to do a follow-up video to just make clear that he was still an atheist because this was being shown in so many churches that it got around to some of his friends. His friends one of his friends went to get her hair done, and the hairstylist said, Hey, did you know one of the biggest atheists around got saved really who's that he's Penn Gillette oh really I just saw him yesterday and he was pretty atheistic still and so he did a video and he said look I you know I, I don't know I, I am Penn Gillette and I do not believe in God and uh, but he said that even Campus Crusade had called him and asked permission to use that in their training uh, of, of their uh, evangelists and so pretty pretty good stuff and again kind of like what we said from the book of Jonah last week, kind of shame on us that it would take an atheist to, mot- you know, to, to have a motivational little talk to Christians on how we ought to be verbal and, uh, and, and, and honest about our witnessing. So I, and I just think that's an amazing thing. And, and he talks about heaven and hell, and, and he really draws the connection, didn't he, between what we believe ought to change how we behave. What we believe ought to motivate how we talk and how we witness. And so I found that very interesting. Well, let's look at our notes. We're, we're in the middle of looking at hell, fact or fiction. Hell, fact or fiction. We have seven facts about the reality of hell that we're looking at from Matthew 25, 41. So turn your Bibles to get that uh, verse and that passage in front of you again. Matthew 25, here we have the Lord Jesus Christ who talked about hell more than all the other passages in the Bible put together, more than anyone else in the Bible, Jesus Christ. And if there's one thing we want to dispel, it's this. This idea that the Old Testament God is a God of wrath 
And the New Testament God, who is Jesus, is a God of love. And these two are in competition somehow or are or, or, or working against. Look, there's one true God, one God in three persons. And that God's character is consistent in both Old and New Testament. And we're going to see upstairs when we talk about Jonah that the God of the Old Testament is a God of unbelievable compassion and mercy. And what we see in this passage is Jesus, meek and mild Jesus, as many people uh, characterize him, is a, a God of wrath and judgment. And we need to understand that. We need to see that together. So as we look at Matthew uh, 25, we won't read the whole passage. just want to read uh, this one verse, Matthew 25. And verse 41, and notice what it says. Then he, and this refer, Jesus is speaking of himself. When he's talking here, he's talking about himself. Earlier in the passage, he says the Son of Man, uh, but it, it's him. This is what I'm going to do. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You know, sometimes people get all out of whack uh, seeing uh, prepared for the devil and his angels, and we'll talk about that in a, uh, later in this lesson, as though somehow people don't belong there. All he's saying is, what he's saying is not, hey, I had this designed over here, and now my plan, now I'm having to go to plan B, and I have to send people there, and I really don't want to send people there, so I'm going to work it out in the end to where they don't have to go there. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, look, you're going, if you're an unbeliever, you're going to a place that was in prepared intentionally and designed for this kind of person. Rebels, liars, Satan, demons. That's where you're going. So it's not like it's inappropriate for you to go there. It's not like you weren't ever intended to go there. It's just that this is the kind of place and it's prepared for these kind of people. And so if you're, if you're going to go there, that's not good. Are you, are you, do you catch the idea here of what I'm trying to say? It's prepared for these kind of people. And as we've read through last week, we saw that most people that are going to hell don't think they are going there. And so what he's trying to say is, look, in rejecting me, it is so horrendous, it is so sinful for you to reject me as your savior, that this is where you go. You're like the devil and his demons. So let's look at it. We looked at seven facts. Let's review. And you let me, you, you tell me what the blanks are, those that were here and so those that aren't can fill it in. Fact number one from this passage, what do we see? Hell is what? Hell is what? Hell is real. Hell is real. Then Jesus will also say to those on the left hand. He's talking about a real place. Number two, fact number two, hell is separation from God and every one of his good gifts. He says, he talks about this real place where real people are go. He's not talking in the abstract. He's not talking philosophically. And then he says, depart from me, depart from me. Fact number two, and we saw hell is separation from God, but it's not separation from God completely. That is a great point. I will not reteach that, but that is an awesome, awesome concept that we saw. God is everywhere, even in hell. Therefore, you can run, but you can't hide. Fact number three, hell is for those what? Cursed. Hell is for those cursed by God. 
Hell is for those cursed by God. So he says, depart from me. And in case you don't know who I'm speaking to, in case you don't understand what it means to be depart, to be separated from me, you are cursed. You are accursed. You are cursed. However you translate it, you're cursed. This is it. This is over. There's no second chance. There's a, off, away. It's for people that are cursed by God. And we talked that there are two groups at, at the judgment, the sheep and the goats, those on the right, those on the left. They're saved, unsaved. They're called repentant and unrepentant. We'll see that upstairs. Believers and unbelievers, clothed and naked, righteous and unrighteous, blessed and cursed. So there's, there's just two groups, and at the judgment... Those that are cursed will go to hell. And then we just talked a little bit about um, what does it mean to be cursed. And we, we talked last week, and I wasn't aware of this. I think Rick came up afterwards. We talked about how when famous people die, that they all go to heaven, you know, and they go through the pearly gates. And we talked about some of the cartoons and editorials. And then uh, Rick had just told me that Tony Curtis had just died that week. I didn't realize that. Uh, and so I, I didn't, I don't know what they said about him, but I'm, let me tell you, no one, no one. No one said, I'm concerned that Tony might be in hell today. No article was written like that. Nothing was said like that. No, he is where the majority of people think they're going and where they think the majority of people go. They think they go to heaven, but Jesus says something different. So we talked about that. Now, fact number four, we got into this. Hell is what? Eternal. Hell is eternal. So you're separated from God, you're cursed by God, and it is eternal. And we talked about this. He says, depart from me, you cursed, into, into eternal or everlasting fire. Eternal or everlasting. Now, look at that word eternal. The question then becomes, what does this word for eternal mean? Does it always refer to eternity? Can it refer to a specific time? with a beginning and end. Now, the answer to that question is the word for eternity there can mean a, 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 a short amount, a, you know, a specified amount of time. It all depends on your context. You always have to look at the context. So sometimes it means an unending time. Sometimes it can mean a measured time. What does it refer to in these passages? Well, I, I gave you Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel 12, 2, where in the context it says this, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. It's contrasted in the context with everlasting life. Now, does everlasting life have an end to it? No. Does everlasting contempt have an end to it? No, because they're contrasted. They're there in that context. It means unending. Matthew 25 46, the very passage we're in, drop down from verse 41 to verse 46. And these will go away into everlasting or eternal punishment, but the righteous into what? Eternal life. They're contrasted. So if you shorten one, you shorten the other. If one is unending, the other is unending. Now listen, only a person with agenda would read something different into those passages. There is no other way to read the clear sense, literal sense of those passages than that hell is eternal. And yet, good by, uh, one good Bible scholar, John Stott, who has drifted away from the biblical teaching of eternal conscious suffering and believes that uh, in annihilation, he struggles with that. 
And, and he struggles with that passage, and, and he knows because he's committed to inerrancy, he's committed to the Bible, it's hard to explain that away. And it's just far easier, listen, it's far easier to just submit to the Word of God than to try to explain it away. And it's the right thing to do. And so we looked at that. Now, human reason asks, now this is the key point, and we, we discussed this last week, why must I receive eternal punishment for a limited amount of sin? If I live for 70 years, no matter how much I sin, it stops the day I die. Why punish me forever? And this is the real sticking point for those who believe in annihilation. They just say this. What they think is this makes God unfair. I can't handle an unfair God. Therefore, it must be annihilation. They must be extinct because I just can't imagine that God would make finite people who have sinned in a limited amount of time, suffer for eternity. It just seems so out of proportion that God is unfair, God is loving, he wouldn't do that. Now, we said there was two answers and they come from God's revelation. Listen, if you reason, if you try to reason with just reasoning to understand hell, you will reason yourself out of hell, you know, out of it. Because, listen, studying hell will either drive you crazy or drive you to Christ. Because it is so unreasonable to our human sense. I had a hard, hard time last week. I had to study. I had two messages on hell, two hours. And I'm telling you what, the weight of that was unbelievable. And, and, and as it got closer to last Sunday, I was just overwhelmed and consumed and I prayed with uh, the, the men that pray with Pastor Bruce on Sunday, and, and uh, one of them uh, was an older gentleman. And he said, yeah, you know, I've known a lot of preachers, and everyone I've talked to, they, they don't like preaching on hell. And, you know, and if, you, if you enjoy that, there's something wrong with you. Okay? If you enjoy preaching on eternal condemnation of conscious suffering for eternity, you're warped, you're weird. And listen, as a human vessel, as a human messenger, human reason... I'm telling you, when you dig deep into this deeply, everything in your human reasoning says, no, no, it's got to be some other way. And, and in some ways, you kinda, I, I get scared of my own self because I'm like, Lord, I just got to hang on to your word. Because if I, if I just start rolling this around in my feeble, finite little brain, I'm going to come out of this changing your word, changing you, and changing reality. And I must not. I will not. God, help me to not do that. I want to cling to your word, and I want to cling to the realities. And here's the two realities. Number one, we must understand the greatness of the person against whom we have sinned. And that's the thing. Listen, when you lower hell, when you eliminate hell, when you eliminate the eternal punishment of hell, all you've done is taken God and you've just lowered him. You're lowered him. And we use the illustration that if you murder me, you might get, you, you, you'll, you'll go to prison, at least I hope you would, for a while, but you'd probably get out on parole at some point, maybe, in our society. But I tell you what, you assassinate the president, who is a human being just like me, who his life, his life is the same life. A life is a life. But his position, his authority, his greatness, you would go to jail and they throw away the key. You don't get out when you sat. Why? Because of the greatness of the person. Well, when you sin against 
not the president of the United States, but the sovereign ruler of the universe, and you flip your nose at him, and you tell him where to get off, and you say, look, or I like you, and you're nice, but I have you packaged over here, and my priorities, I'll live my life my way, check in with you when I'm really in deep, dark trouble, but other than that, keep out of my life, I've got my own moral standards, I've got my own agenda. When you do that to him, that's an eternal offense. And when you think about, listen, here's what his command is. Love me with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength 24-7. 24-7, this is my standard. Love me with every ounce and energy. Would anybody like to stand up and testify that they have done that thus far? Oh, no, none of us have. And the best person here falls so short of that, that we all, that's the offense. And listen, and you say, well, that's crazy. No, if you knew how, if we even had an ounce of understanding from that Bible of how great he is and how worthy he is of such devotion, of such total commitment, of such 24-7 wholehearted dedication... If we could just get a glimpse of that, we would realize, wow, I do. I deserve help. And that's an eternal, that's an eternal sin. So we looked at the greatness of the person. So please understand, when we monkey with eternal punishment, we are lowering the greatness of God. Number two, sin never stops. It doesn't stop at death. You never read of repentance in hell. So here's, here's the kicker. People live forever. Okay, people are immortal. They're not eternal in the sense that they, they had a, we all have a beginning, but they have no end, so they're eternal. And so when they're in hell, the sinning doesn't stop the day you die. In hell, they're still shaking their fists. And uh, we won't go through it, but we talked about Luke 16, where the rich man is in hell. And in hell, he has a lot of things to say. He's got a lot of agendas. But if you notice in hell, his agenda is oriented on him and those he loves. It's not orientated to God. It's not orientated to others like Lazarus. And so people just don't repent. They, they have regrets. They have regrets. That's part of the wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's part of the suffering. They have regrets, but their regret is not a godly sorrow. It's not a godly repentance. So they're sinning for all of eternity. And because they're sinning for all of eternity, they suffer for all of eternity. All right? So that's a, that's a pretty good... Uh, that's, that's a pretty good answer to that. Therefore, God is holy, just, and right in repaying sinners in hell with eternal torment. Turn again to 1 Thessalonians 1. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 9. I'm telling you, I'm going to memorize this passage. This is beginning to me to be one of the most crucial passages on eternal uh, punishment. And the reason I think it is because it talks about the rightness and the justice of God in repaying sinners for their rebellion. It's a crucial passage. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 9. Verse 6, since it is a righteous thing. So we just got to understand, it's right for God to judge sinners. It's right. It's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us 
when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming... What am I? Oh, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. Did your Bible change on you? Okay, all right, sorry about that. That's why I need to memorize it. 2 Thessalonians, I have it written down here first. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 9. Are you okay now? Okay, is this what it says? Since it is a righteous thing, are you with me? It's a righteous thing with God to repay uh, with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance. Okay, so look at the words we've seen. Repay, vengeance on those. And notice, it's not on those that are really dirty, rotten sinners. It's on people who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not just, it's very specific. People that believe in God don't get in. People that believe in a vague deity and try to live a good life, you don't go to heaven. It's because they don't know God, and the reason they don't know God is because they do not obey the gospel, the good news that Jesus has died for their sins, rose from the dead, seated at the right hand, able to give eternal life as a free gift, and is coming again to save those who believe, and is coming in flaming fire to wreak vengeance on those who do not know God. That's what he's saying. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, again, there's that idea. Wait a minute. I thought there's the idea of separation. But does that contradict a revelation that says they'll be tormented in the presence of the Lamb? No, because in the context of 2 Thessalonians 1, Jesus is presented as bringing rest to his people the power to save his people. And what's being said there is, look, you're going to be away from that rest. You're going to be away from that saving power, the power of his glory to save. But you will not, and we'll see at the end of this lesson, you will not be separated from his glory, glorious wrath. So, very interesting, very good passage, very critical passage. It's a right thing. It's an eternal thing. Okay, fact number five. Fact number five. What are they going to experience for eternity? Here's fact number five. Hell is an unquenchable fire. It's an it's undying worms that gnaw continuously. It's unrelenting gnashing of teeth, and it's unyielding darkness, and it's unending torment. Torment. It's eternal torment. In this verse... They are cast into everlasting what in Matthew 25, 41? It's fire. Now, the reason I put all those other things in your verse is because there are other word pictures, other descriptions of this of this torment, but it all comes down to torment, okay? And so notice other passages uh, picture hell as a place of burning fire. Do you have this in your notes? Do you have that in your notes? Okay, burning fire, unquenchable wrath, unquenchable wrath. That's what fire, I mean, that fire is there. We'll talk in a moment. Is it literal? Is it metaphorical? But the point is, that's wrath. When you burn something, you're mad. And we talk about he's burning hot or he's burning angry. It's anger. It's wrath. Feasting of worms. 
That's a picture of unending decay. So you got fire, you got worms. Where do you find worms? Where do you find maggots? On the ground? Well, what? They're just, yeah, dead nasty stuff. Turn over a dead rotting carcass, and what are you going to find underneath that? And what are they doing? They're eating. They're gnawing. They're feasting on that which is unclean, that which is corrupt. Now, there's some crazy guy on cable that eats roadkill. Okay? Now... But but why would you watch that show? Because it's weird, not because it's normal. Because it's weird. Listen, roadkill, things that are dying, they, they're, they're cursed, it's unclean. If your kid was playing with roadkill, what would you say? Get away from that. You would sanitize them. Dana, how long would they be in the shower? How, long, how, how bad would they be? Would there be any skin left on that kid? Maybe not. Why? Because it's just, oh, oh, okay. Feasting of worms, it pictures decay, corruption, it's bad. Gnashing of teeth, there will be unbearable anguish. Uh, there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. You ever, you, just, you ever, you just, you're so mad, you're so frustrated, you're, you're boiling up and you're just, you're just gnashing your teeth. There's anger, there's resentment, there's regret horrible and then the deepest darkness hell is described as being a place of not just darkness but utter blackness blackness and again what is more frightening what is more more freakish than total blackness you ever been in total been in a cave or somewhere where it's just totally black you go to silver dollar city and you go down in their cave and you can experience, they turn all the lights out. It's probably the blackest, darkest I've ever been in. And I'm telling you, if you didn't know other people were with you, it's just, it's, it's such utter isolation. Okay, these are the torments, and that represents unrelenting separation, lostness, and aloneness. Now, God created us to be creatures with bodies. We are spirits and we're bodies and they're unified, and that's the way that we will be in eternity. We will be resurrected. Some to eternal life, but some are going to be resurrected to eternal death and eternal judgment. And so they'll have a soul and they'll have this resurrected body that's not going to be just like this body. Burn this body and you're going to have dust. Burn this body and it won't, it won't burn up. So right now we're, we've moved into a realm that is beyond. Not, listen, it's not contrary to reason. It's beyond reason. Okay, it's beyond reason. This is about all we can get to with reasoning. But it is even above reason. It's bodies that worms can eat on, but they don't get eaten up. Fire can burn, but it never gets burned up. Teeth are gnashed, but they won't be ground down. Some of you are teeth grinders in sleep, and you have to put mouth guards on there. Why? Because if you keep grinding, you will grind your teeth away. will not happen in, in hell. It will not. Now, let's look at this. Um, so both are resurrected, but one to eternal life. Now, the exact nature of the unquenchable fire, the undying worms, the constant gnashing of teeth, the never-ending darkness, and the internal, e- eternal torment is rather uncertain. There's five basic views. View number one is what we have just read about, and you, you can read the verses all on it, is literal. There's a literal view of hell. What you read is exactly what it will be. Now, that, that is the majority opinion of conservative scholars. Uh, the president, former president of the seminary I, I went to, he, he wrote a defense literal view. 
And what that would mean, though, is you got to think this may not be how they this is how this view can be can go off is kids think literally. Right. A is, you know, a, you know, the, the, you know, if, if uh, you know, we're going to leave in a minute means we're going to leave in a minute. Why didn't we leave? Okay. So if in a very literal view, then this fire is just like fire when you light a match. You know, these worms are just like maggots you would find on a carcass, just like that. It's literal. Uh, the teeth are gnashing teeth, just like you grinding your own teeth. The darkness is darkness that we're associated with. Now, again, if you, if you push me, I will go to this. I will defend this. I will defend people that think that way. But for me, it doesn't connect with the rest of Scripture and with the spiritual reality that we're we're dealing with, that we're dealing with something beyond. So that's a literal view. That's fine. We want to defend that. Number two is a metaphorical view. That means these are just word pictures, metaphorical. It's, it's not literal. What you read is merely symbolic. That's one view of the metaphorical. Another view is it's worse than mere humans can even imagine. So there's an unbiblical way of taking, well, these are all word pictures, and they move this all into abstract. It's just, it's, it's just, it's not this. It's not, it's just. It's an abstract. It's a concept. And what they end up saying is it's simply separation from God. Separation from God. The most we can, all this means is they're cursed and they're separated from God. That's what I believe is an unbiblical view of the metaphorical view. Here's a more biblical view. They see it as much worse than the images used. They say, look, these are images but they're images because the reality is so much worse, so much beyond our reasoning, so much beyond our understanding that this is the best that God can do with our finite, limited understanding of how bad hell is. Now, that, I think, is a biblical view of of saying these are word pictures, all right? There's a third view. Oh, let me say this. Those that take this metaphorical view will say things like, well, how... Can there be fire and darkness at the same time? How can there be fire and darkness at the same time? You know, how how can these worms be eating and yet they never die? And they're eating and yet it's not consumed. Okay? So you can see how you can say, wait a minute, wait a minute. But let me say some things. This is the big one, fire and darkness. Well, first of all, uh, talk to a fireman, just some natural explanations. Firemen uh, have gone into houses where the smoke is so great, you literally cannot see the flame and everything's dark. There's a burning fire. They're in that room. The smoke is so great, you cannot see it. Okay, that's just a natural explanation. Second of all, I read somewhere, and I, I, this is many years ago, and I do not have the, the facts on this, so I, I just give this as an, an, anecdotal uh, evidence. I read once where, you know how on a flame... On a match, there's the yellow part where it burns with oxygen. But I've heard the hottest part is that part right down by the by the match head where it, it you can see through it. It's like blue, black, but you see through it. You can see you can't see through the yellow. You can see through that. It's it's like a flame that's so hot it doesn't give off light. Now I don't know all the science. All all I'm saying is we're dealing with God. Okay. Do you think he can create worms that can eat and consume but never get filled 
And can he create a body that is gnawed on but is never consumed? Can he create flame and darkness and have it coexist? Listen, you haven't looked at the universe out there much. If you don't, I mean, think about a black hole. Explain that. Okay. But listen, we're not talking about natural explanations. We're talking about God. So there you go. Number three, annihilation, annihilational view. The idea here is that the fire consumes, the worms would eat up, and they are uh, those who are cursed, and the consequence is eternal. So how they explain eternal is, well, this fire will eventually burn them up, the worms will eventually eat them up, the teeth will finally stop gnashing, the darkness, that will go away, and for eternity they will not exist. So that's the annihilation. Fourth view is purgatorial, purgatory. The fire purifies those who are cursed so they can eventually enter into God's presence in heaven. And then here's the fifth view, and this is the view that I would hold to. It's literal, metaphorical, literal, metaphorical. And notice how that's written because I want you to take note very carefully. What you read is what it will be like. It's literal. What you read is what it will be like in terms that we can relate to, but the reality will be much, much much worse, just as heaven will be much, much better. Now, let's stop and think about that. Heaven will have streets of gold. Now, I don't want to crash anybody's party here. Heaven will have streets of gold. Now, again, if, if I'm defending the Bible, if, I'm, if, if, if God's truth is being attacked, I will, I, I will die for streets of gold. Okay, so I'm not... But, let's... I really do not think we're going to be walking on streets of gold like I picture it, like actually a bunch of people's gold teeth melted down, and we're going to walk on these streets of gold. Now, is there going to be streets? Yes. Are they going to be of great value? Will they be gold? I'll say yes, but it's going to be a gold that's beyond my comprehension. It will be of a material that is eternal and far greater than what you have on your teeth, that you have on your hand, and hanging from your ears. Let's hope so. Amen? Isn't God worthy of greater gold than what you hang and I chew meat with? Oh, I don't have gold teeth, but you get my picture? Now, we can handle that with heaven. We ought to be able to handle that with hell. And so we believe in a literal metaphorical. And I think I hear, I have a quote here from Jonathan Edwards. Oh, did I put that in there? Yeah, you're going to have to read it to me. I didn't put it in my notes. Hang on. What's it say? Because it was a goodie. And I found it at the last, at the end. Where are we at? There we go. When metaphors are used in Scripture about spiritual things, they fall short of the literal truth. Now, that is a great, okay? So don't walk out of here. Chris doesn't believe the literalness of the Bible, and uh, that's not true. But I just think, especially these gnawing worms are ones that I have a hard time saying, look, I think God is trying to communicate something beyond my comprehension. But please understand, the best. listen, God is communicating to finite, messed up people like you and me. And if this isn't enough to put the fear of God into us, well, then we're in trouble because, listen, the reality, the literal reality is far greater than those things that we can comprehend. Now, here's the point. Internal suffering, I think I have this in your note, involves torment, involves agony, all these things. But here's the bottom line. Here's the point I want you to take away. 
We cannot overdo the images of hell. We cannot overdo the images of hell. You can't preach this so bad that it's a distortion of reality. You can't make the darkness so dark, the fire so hot, the gnawing, the suffering, the torment, the anguish. You cannot make those things so great that you have over-exaggerated. You can't outdo it. Wow. Wow. And uh, Don Whitney, I read an article, a sermon by him to prepare for this and actually used a lot of his material. Um, He brought out something that I hadn't thought about. This is a place that we're going to see next is prepared for the devil and his angels. Think about these guys. It's prepared for them. Okay, so all of this was prepared for them. But listen, they don't have bodies, human bodies like we do. They can, demons can, can possess a human body. Angels can appear as men in bodies, but they're spirit beings. So we're talking about a realm and a place that is, that is spiritual, otherworldly, beyond our human comprehension, but it's very real and it's very much a place you don't want to go. Fact number six, hell is a prepared place. Hell is a prepared place, prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus says that hell is eternity with the devil and his angels. And and so again, in verse 41, the idea is not that since they're there, no one else can go there. It just means that when you go there, you're with those kind of people. And and now listen to a couple of verses, or actually here in, in Matthew 25, look at verse 34. So in the same chapter, look at verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. And then look, what's the next word? Prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So here this sovereign God has prepared all the glories of heaven and his kingdom, and yet... Go to verse 41, prepared for the devil and his angels. So again, there's two prepared places with the same God preparing both of them. Listen to John 14, 2. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Listen, if you're going to cling to John 14, 2, then we need to affirm the reality of Matthew 25, 41. And then listen to 1 Corinthians 2, 9. Paul says about heaven, but just as is written, things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who he has loved. The same word prepared. So stop and think about what we're saying here. That takes me back to the literal metaphorical view. That if heaven is a place that has been prepared by God, but the preparation of it and the glories of it are beyond what I can see and mind can comprehend, then let me tell you, the judgments of hell are beyond what I can see and mind can comprehend. So to me, that's biblical, uh, that's an implication from biblical truth that this is going to be far, far worse than what we realize. Fact number seven, hell is ruled by God for his glory. Now, this might be a radical thought. 
Hell is ruled by God for his glory. And I want to I want you to see this again in Matthew uh, uh, 25, 41. Then he. Okay, now circle that word he. You've got to ask, who is he? The answer is in verse 34. Or I'm sorry, it's in verse 31. It's in verse 31. The he is identified and described, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his what? Glory and all the holy angels with him. So glory, holy, and then he will sit on his throne of what? Glory. And it's on this throne of glory encircled with holiness in which he will say, Depart from me, you accursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It's, 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 it's a ruling of glory. It's a ruling of God's glory. Now, this is because, see, a lot of people think that in hell, the, de- the devil reigns. You know, God is over here in heaven with the good people. The devil is over here with the bad people, and he's ruling over hell. And there's some people who say, look, I'd rather be in hell and be in charge of myself than to be under God in heaven. Well, the reality is, what makes hell hell for unbelievers is that God is ruling even in hell. This one that they didn't want to believe in, this one that they didn't want to submit to, guess what they have to do for all of eternity? They have to submit to him for all of eternity. This is Philippians 2. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, some will do that before they die and enter into heaven. All will do it after they die, and the unbelievers will do it unwillingly as they are sent to hell. Now, I want to read an extended quote by a man by the name of Edward Donnelly. And so hang with me on this, and he really captures this. We need to emphasize, he says, that hell is ruled by God. For there is a popular idea that somehow outside his presence and reach, that it is somehow outside his presence and reach. People think of hell as a kind of nuclear waste repository in which God will enclose the wicked. It will then be sealed, buried, and forgotten about, and the souls in that dreadful place of torment will be left to their own devices. Perhaps John Milton, the great Puritan though he was, is partly responsible for this misconception. In Paradise Lost, he devotes a great deal of attention to Satan, the chief angel. As the devil is about to enter hell, Milton makes him say, Here at least we shall be free. Here we may reign secure. And in my choice to reign is worth ambition. Though in hell, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. The poet is giving him a ghastly kind of hope. Here we shall be free. We may reign secure. Perhaps that is indeed what Satan thought and hoped for. I may be wretched, but I'll be my own master. This may be a place of misery, but at least I will be able to get away from God. Many agree with him and see hell as a place where Satan reigns. But it is not true. Hell is where God alone reigns. It is not an independent, self-contained, demonic kingdom. God, who has the power to cast into hell, rules it and has prepared its fires. He is present in hell, for the damned are tormented in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. What an awful and mysterious statement. No, the devil does not reign in hell. 
We must not represent him as a James Dean type of figure, a tragic, heroic rebel who stands alone and shakes his fist at God. It's bogus. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Satan will not be free. And it just he goes on with that. But then he says this. We must remember also that hell exists for God's glory. In hell, we can say this only in trembling reverence. God's glory will be unveiled in new and amazing ways. His kingly authority will be seen more clearly than has ever been possible before. Fresh aspects of his holiness and justice will be revealed to his wondering people. We can dare to believe this because Scripture teaches it. The last book of the Bible shows us the sinless inhabitants of heaven praising and thanking God for hell. The 24 elders fall on their faces before him, and here's what they say. We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, because thou hast taken for thee thy great power and has reigned, and the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged. They're praising God for his glorious wrath. They're praising God for hell. And for his justice and for his holiness. The angel of the waters praises the Lord for his judgments. Revelation 16, 5 through 6. Thou art righteous, O Lord, because thou hast judged thus, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. Like all else in creation, hell exists for God's glory. Now, those are hard. Those are hard words. But that's how great our God is. And that's how bad our sin is. And that's how undeserving everyone here who has a hope of going to heaven because of Jesus Christ, we should be on our faces thanking God. We should be here at church today with a full expression of gratitude and humility saying, I am not worthy. You are worthy. Thank God for Jesus Christ. And the reason we don't, the reason we don't is because we have too low of God view of God, too high a view of us, and too low a view of sin. And listen, I don't come up with this stuff on my own. I would never comprehend it. I could never come up with it. It comes from God. I end with this. This is not about you fearing hell. This is about you loving Jesus for such a great sake. Folks, hell is inevitable if you never receive Jesus as your Savior. Hell is your reality. This morning, right now. Hell is inescapable once you're there. There are no second chances. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But number three, here's the good news. Hell is avoidable if you will repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, if you want to know what repenting and believing is, don't duck out after Sunday school, Discovery Hour. Go upstairs, and we're going to study Jonah 3. Seven realities we've seen this morning about hell. And perhaps the greatest one is that last one. Hell is ruled by God for his glory.
We have an awesome God. But folks, we need to get the word out to a world that is destined, destined for this kind of conscious, eternal suffering. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a wonder you are. What a marvel you are. You're beyond us. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. And our reason cannot, we can, we, we, we can reason. You want us to love, us, love you with all of our mind. And yet, Lord, revelation is above us. And it calls us to a faith in you that is beyond our comprehensions. Give us the gift of faith. Let us place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone is here that does not yet repent and believe in you, may they turn to you as the most gracious God to warn us of this awful reality before it happens. And Lord, for those of us that have placed our faith in you and received from you eternal life, let us glory in that and then let us be committed again afresh and anew this morning. I will do whatever I can. Tell even an atheist like Tim Joyce that God loves you and the Word of God is real.